Hi, this is Dan Cassetta. Welcome to Flashback Friday on Changing Lives, Selling Knives. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from people who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. Episodes feature some of Cutco's most prominent alumni and top achieving current leaders. Flashback Friday is your chance to hear a short piece of one of my favorite past episodes. We'll hand select the best nuggets to share with you in this short form. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real world concepts for business and life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's flashback. Today, we are flashing back to episode number 10 with entrepreneur and financial advisor, Adam Stock. Adam is a trusted advisor and respected friend to many of Cutco Vector's top leaders. He runs several businesses which touch different aspects of personal finance, and his guidance has been able to impact thousands of entrepreneurs and business people on their road to financial independence. In this short snippet, Adam covers a thought-provoking concept he calls your financial DNA. He also shares some common mistakes that people make financially and strategies to create a bigger gap between earnings and savings as you invest for your future. Today's episode is sponsored by Good Weather Wine, which was founded by Mark Lovis to bring people great natural wines at good prices. All their wines are sugar-free, low in sulfites, and with no additives. You can get a monthly shipment of 3, 6, or 12 bottles, and they'll make it super easy by making the selections for you based on your preferences. Visit goodweatherwine.com to get started and enter the discount code CLSK when you check out to get free shipping on your order. You can see all our sponsors at changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. Enjoy this flashback segment from Adam Stock and be sure to revisit the full episode number 10. I really want to focus in on financial lessons today because you're truly an expert in this area. And I know many listeners will want to develop better habits, will want to clean up any mistakes that they're making that are pertinent to their financial futures. And I think you're a great guy to talk about this. So, you know, when it comes to financial success, let's talk about what are some of the good habits people have? What are some of the most common mistakes? And maybe start with the mistakes side, you know, that you see among many entrepreneurs, business people, what are some of the financial mistakes that can be corrected? The first one that I'm going to talk about sounds like a little bit of a woo-woo. It's not, hey, don't accumulate a lot of credit card debt or simple, more, uh, I'm not going to say mundane, but maybe more obvious things. What I want to start by talking about is your financial DNA and your financial story. Because I feel like there's a genetic component here, whether that's actually scientifically genetic or just socially genetic, that we inherit from our parents and from those around us. Hmm. And I think that that, that's really critical for people to to get a, a real good sense of what were the lessons that you learned when you were growing up about money? What were the stories that you heard And how did you feel about those stories? What did you do about them? And how does your current behavior reflect those stories and those experiences that you saw 
or heard or feelings that you had about money growing up. Because I feel like a lot of behavior is born out of that underlying financial architecture. And one really quick story that I can remember coming to one of your region events and we were out bowling and someone came up to me and said to me, Adam, I need your help. I'm really, really bad with money. And I was like, oh, really? Well, what do you mean you're bad with money? It's like, I just, I just, whatever I have it, I spend it. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about what was your life like growing up as a kid? Were your parents generous or like, how did they, how, what were they like about money? And he's like, that's really interesting that you asked me that question because I realized that they never let me buy anything. Like I worked hard and I made all this money and then I had to give it to my parents and they wouldn't let me spend it. <sighs> so here he was in his next chapter of adulthood, like responding to the lack, responding to the resentment, res- responding to what he didn't have as a child. And whenever he's getting money, spending the money. But it, this is, and I see this really frequently. In fact, just this morning, I was talking to a gentleman and I, I was trying to help him see a path towards uh, being rich and successful, which those are very emotionally charged words. But what we were able to get to is he said, you know, when I really think about it, because I was asking him to envision earning 10 times more money than he's earning now. I said, why don't you try to get in those shoes and feel what it would be like to earn 10 times as much money as you're earning now. And he said, it's hard for me to get there because I don't feel like I deserve it. Hmm. Wow. And that's really common that people have this inner struggle that they don't feel like they're worthy of growing their wealth or they have a fear of success, either consciously or subconsciously. So I think it's really critical to try to get at that, untangle it, disarm it, detonate it, and clear the way for good habits. Unhook yourself from whatever those previous stories were and clear the way and clear the path so that you feel like you're worthy enough of having those good habits. Wow, that's a compelling example, Adam. I really appreciate hearing that. What else have you noticed are some of the common pitfalls or mistakes that people make financially? When people are coming out of college, for example, I find that they spend really close to what they earn. And I think it's really important to create, well, first of all, to get clear on how much do you really earn net? How much do you pay in tax? How much do you spend personally? And how much is left over? And I think if that's all people got real laser clarity over, a lot would be a lot easier. But I find specifically independent contractors and in the Cutco world, revenues coming in, there's a 1099. How much did I really earn? I don't really know. And so like that's the first step is you have to know what your profit is. Even if you're a W-2 wage earner, what's your take-home pay? Because it doesn't matter if you have a salary of seventy or eighty thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand. Like, what matters is what am I taking you home? Mm-hmm. What do I have that I have to either pay tax on or spend personally, and then what's left over? So for me, creating wealth is all about creating the gap, creating the gap between 
what you earn and what you spend. And if that gap is really narrow, you're never going to be really, really wealthy. So you either need to find a way to lower your expenses or increase your earnings or some combination of that because you have to create capital and then you have to let that capital work and create more capital. Right, for sure. You know, I was lucky to have had people early on in my career with Cutco who were good financial examples. The original region manager when I started was Don Mulrath. Mm -hmm. And there's also a legendary Cutco sales rep that started in the 50s who lives here in San Jose, still does to this day, named Roman Malik. And Don was pretty smart financially. Roman, I remember him talking about how he owned 11 houses, you know, in California and Nevada. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And they used to always teach their financial principles and that hearing those things helped me to get a good start, you know, at a young age to start, you know, creating that gap and building that gap. I remember Don saying, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. It's what you keep. Yeah, exactly. It's not what you earn, it's what you keep. That's what he said. Yeah. And he would preach pay yourself first, meaning save first, spend what's left, which is one good way to have a gap, right? Is if you at least knock the savings component out first. What are some of the ways that people can do this? If they're not doing this right now, how can they create a gap? How can they keep that gap increasing so they are accumulating some wealth? Yeah, I mean, creating the gap is first of all about clarity. So you have to know where you're at and what is that gap right now. If you don't have the gap and you're on a fixed income, then the only way that you can do it is by lowering your expenses. That takes sacrifice. So you're either willing to sacrifice or you're not. And then if you, as you get raises, if you concurrently increase your saving, your, your spending, every time you get a raise, you're not going to expand that gap. So you have to draw a line in the sand somewhere and be willing to give up some luxury, some hedonism today for the promise of what you could have tomorrow. And I have a saying that you can either have nice things now or you can have nicer things later. Mm. And the marketing and advertising world is so, so talented that all the messages that people get are about consuming now and now and creating that urgency for buying things. And right. And I'm not, I'm not a hermit. I mean, I like nice things. I have a nice house, a nice car, but creating that gap has always been really critical for me and anybody that I've seen that's created substantial wealth. They've always created that gap. Normally, by earning more money, normally by figuring out how can I earn more money because that oftentimes is the easier road (laughs) than spending less. Right, right. And as you earn more, it's important, you're saying, to make sure that your expenses go up at a lower rate. So if you earn 10,000 more, that's not an excuse to spend 10,000 more. Maybe if you earn 10,000 more, you spend 5,000 more or 7,000 more. That's right. Three to five extra is going into your future. Right. Yeah. And then making it automatic to the extent that you can do that. Either you have a solo 401k or a 401k or an individual investment account where every month a, the same dollar amount comes out of that checking account, goes right into a 
saving as an investment account. And I, I consider this like, like weightlifting. So you start with five pound weights, which might be $5. And then you increase those weights as your gap expands. So maybe it's $500 a month, and then it's $1,000 a month. And the bicep curl, that form never changes. All that changes is the weight. So you're still doing the same principle. You're still at the same form. But like as an example, I have a client who now invests $50,000 a month, right? That's a big weight, <laughs> right? But it's the same form. It's just more weight. And so I think getting in that habit of making it automatic, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, that's a huge step in the right direction. That is a great point. And it's one of the keys that has helped me for sure in my life. Vector created a program through Smith Barney where our people can have an automatic savings program. As long as somebody's either a manager or they're, I think it, it's either twenty or thirty thousand dollars. I think it's twenty thousand dollars in career sales. It's a pretty low threshold. People can sign up for this, where they can have automatic withdrawals from their paychecks that go to their own Smith Barney accounts and are helping them to build this habit, which can start out as you know fifty or two hundred or five hundred dollars a month, and can eventually right. be fifty thousand a month as your client is doing. So that whole idea of a forced or automatic savings is great. If somebody's not in Cutco, what are some ways that you recommend they establish an automatic savings program? Well, most companies have some type of retirement plan, like a 401k. And that's a great way to do it. Another way is to own real estate. So when you pay your mortgage, it's a method of forced savings. And every year when my wife and I put our plan together, we have, this is how much we're planning to earn. This is how much we're planning to pay in tax. This is how much we're going to spend. This is how much we're going to save. And then separate from that, we have a giving plan. So this is how much we're planning to give to charity. This is where those are going to go. We include in the savings, the principal that we're paying down on our mortgage because that's automatic savings. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's flashback episode of Changing Lives Selling Knives, you can find the full episode and show notes at changinglivespodcast.com. You can also sign up there to receive free resources from me and some of our amazing guests. If you click on the deals link on our podcast page, you'll see some tremendous offers from our podcast sponsors. Please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.